watch over the flock by night. And when you think about biblical imagery, you know, some of the primary imagery that the Bible uses, like one of the first things you, you think of are shepherds, right? You think of uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Such a beautiful, a beautiful passage. God is our shepherd. He leads us. He guides us. He, he shepherds our very souls and lives. And even if you walk in the shadow of the valley of death, he's with us and leading us to greener pastures. We think of Jesus' reference to shepherds by saying he is the good shepherd in John 10 where it says I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me. And so throughout the Bible, there's this imagery of God as shepherd, Jesus Christ himself as, as shepherd. And yet what's interesting about that imagery is this, that the reality of shepherds in that day and age and that culture was that they were a despised group of people and an untrusted group of people, even though to us they seem so pastoral and and godly, and, and we've entered and understand the story from all this imagery, but the reality culturally was this. They were so despised and untrusted that you couldn't even uh, be a witness in a law court if you were a shepherd. They were known for thievery. They smelled bad, of course. They, they um, were unable to practice a lot of the religious observation in the temple, and so many people had a very bad opinion of them, and they were kind of outcast and low cast in the society, and yet in the story that God tells and is telling, it's people like this that receive the very first news of the arrival of the king of kings. It is not the religious insiders that receive the news. It's despised ones, outcasts. And the whole story of Advent is counterintuitive, and it's upside down, and, and it doesn't make sense. If you go all the way back to the, the very beginning of the Advent story, in a way, which I'll, I'll go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, where you have an old man and a barren woman who are promised to have descendants as numerous as the stars, and that the Messiah would come to their lineage. I'm talking about Abraham and Sarah. You have a very old man and a, and a very old woman who's barren, and they are promised, you're your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and, and the sand on the beach, and yet they have no child. It's upside down. It's counterintuitive that the, the lineage of God, the Messiah, would come through those people. And it, so it makes sense in a way that in the economy of God that a virgin would be with child, and, and that it's through, through the upside-down nature of, of a virgin to be with child and the poor despised shepherds to be the first to worship the king of kings. They tremble. First, they, they tremble, and, and we see this. This morning we're gonna see these things about the shepherd. They tremble, they hurry, they share, and they bow. They tremble, they hurry, they share, and they bow. It says in verse nine of our passage, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled 
with great fear. Now, when I normally think of the Christmas uh, story, the Advent story, what I think of is the humility of the Godhead entering earth in the universe physically. And I mean, God has always been in the universe. There would be nothing that would exist if it weren't for him. And yet he enters in as a human being. And so we focus on the humility of the coming of the Lord. But what we see here also is the contrast of his majesty and his glory. For example, in John 1, 3, it says this, All things were made through him, and without him was nothing that was made. In Colossians 1, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. This is talking about Jesus, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so on the one hand, of course, we have the preeminence of Jesus Christ juxtaposed or in contrast with his humility that he would come to despise shepherds born to a virgin, a poor couple who are not only uh, poor, but not even able to enjoy the comforts of their own home and family. They're sent to pay a tax in Bethlehem, and there is not even a room for them in this bed and breakfast that they find themselves. And so they're in a literally a cattle shed. And the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is born in a barn. It's upside down. It doesn't make sense. And normally I focus on that reality, that the King of Kings is born in a barn, the humility of God, that he who is God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, right? That's where I focus. But I want you to see this, that it was not without majesty, though, the coming of the Lord Jesus' birth. Why? How do we know that? in a barn, born to a poor woman, she's a virgin, and, and Joseph is poor, and he's a carpenter, he's just a common, and the despised shepherds are there. How can there be majesty? I'll tell you why. A choir of angels announces his birth. <laughs> and the glory of the Lord shone around. It was not without majesty. How could it not include some majesty and some glory? Yes, humility, but majesty. Shepherds are not fearful men. These are men who protect their sheep with a staff. These are men, Jesus alludes to it, who drive away wolves with that same staff. These are men that hunt for their own food, their own gain. These are men who do not get frightened easily. They chase away bears, predators, wolves. And it takes one angel to show up. And they're fearful. And then a whole choir of angels and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The, and I, just think about this. When Gabriel shows up, of course, they're fearful. I am Gabriel. I'm the one who stands in the presence of God. And I want you to think of Moses, who when he would be in the Shekinah glory of God, the people couldn't even look at him in the face afterwards. Why? Because he radiated God's glory. Now the angels come, a whole choir of angels. Again, humility, but not without majesty. Choir of angels. And the point for us this morning regarding this is, regarding all this is, if you don't have a healthy respect for the power of God and the glory of God, His holiness, His righteousness, His supreme authority, His, his sovereignty, then you, you may not yet know Him. Because to know the Lord is to fear Him. It says in Proverbs that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so the... The proper response for these shepherds 
is to, when in the glory of God, is to tremble at his presence, even though Christ, they're not yet in the, in the glory of Christ, but just even with the glory of the angels, there is a right response, was, which is awe and wonder and fear. And that's what they do. Next, they hurry. They tremble and they hurry. It says in Luke 2, verses 10 through 16, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day, the city of David, Bethlehem, is born Christ the Lord, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one they, they knew that Israel had always expected. This will be the sign. This is how you're going to find this baby. I mean, there's a, okay, there's babies in Bethlehem. How am I going to find it? This is your sign. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger, born in a barn. And suddenly there was with the angels, the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts. It's like all of a sudden they're hiding, you know, in the sky, and all of a sudden they just decide, like, let's just show them the whole deal, like all of us that are here. Boom. A multitude of heavenly hosts. And what were they saying? Glory to God in the highest. Humility, but not without majesty. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is well pleased. And he must have been well pleased with these poor outcast shepherds. Isn't that good news? For us poor outcast sinners. (laughs) He is pleased to tell them. And when the angels went away, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over there. <laughs> let's go there. Where they, this place they're talking about and this baby, let's get over there to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They hurried and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When I hear the word haste and hurry, I think of stress. I think of like, ah, I got to get stuff done, Right? I'm feeling that way right now about Christmas. <laughs> I've got a couple things done. I've got a lot of things left undone. I've got some stuff to do this week. I feel hurried. But that's not what they're talking about. What this, this kind of hurry, this kind of haste, is the haste that comes to you when, when God's word has come to you and you're quick to obey it. When God enters your life, when his story intersects with your story, there's an urgency to do his will. And this is what we see with these shepherds. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth to those whom he's pleased. And, and they say, all right, we got to go do something about this. we got to get there and see this child. And then we're going to share about it, which we'll mention in a minute. They, they go with haste. And there is a point for us, which is this. When, when the good news of Jesus Christ enters your life, there is a hurriedness, not a stress, not stressed out. There is a hurriedness and a pace that says, I want to be quick to do the Lord's will. And that's what they do. It's Christmas, guys. And the young among us, as we, as we watch the Christmas movies, as we read the Christmas stories, as we think about all the things that we're so sentimental about at this time of year, one of the common themes is this. Get your life right. Have you noticed in all the Christmas movies and all the Christmas stories, just about, there's not all of them, of course, but there's this common theme of get your life right. One of them is, you know, a common theme in all these movies is like, you know, you, you've got all your priorities wrong. 
Your, your life is not in order. You're working too much. You're, you're not caring about what matters. You're not caring about those you love. You're not caring about the things that matter most. And even if it's not Christian imagery in these movies, a lot of times it's get your life straight. Get your life right. When the word of the Lord comes to you, as it comes to these angels, there's a hurriedness to do the will of the Lord. And I ask you, because it's, it's this time of year to be thinking about this stuff. We're closing out yet another year. Is God showing you something that needs attention in your life? Is the Lord showing you something that's keeping you from doing his will? Is the Lord showing you something that's like, it's a roadblock, it's a barrier that's keeping you, an area that you need to confront, a relationship that needs restoration, a conversation you need to have, someone you need to forgive, some door you've not been willing to open. When you sense that God is telling you there is a holy hurry that is healthy, not anxiety that's filled with stress, but a holy hurry that, that leads to saying, let me do the Lord's will. They hurry, and then they share. It says in Luke 2, 16 through 18, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw the scene, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And at first it sounds like they just go there and they tell Mary and Joseph, like, this is what we heard from the angels. But then it says, and all who heard wondered at what the shepherds told them. They could not stop talking about it. They, they didn't just tell Mary and Joseph. They went back to their shepherd friends and they may have gone back into the city and said, you're not going to believe what happened. These angels showed up and we were there. We were cold. We were out, you know, we had just had the fire at night, and, and we were just about to bed in, and all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appeared and said that the Messiah, the coming Messiah is here. We went and we found him, just as the angel had said. They shared. They shared the good news. The point for us. Friends, if and when the gospel comes into your life, there are some sort of natural results that happen, and many of us have been following God for a long time and grown tired and weary and perhaps just need a reminding. And some of you are new followers of Jesus, and if you're a newer follower of Jesus, these things are probably more true of you, because when the gospel begins to dawn on you in a fresh way, and may the Lord give us all a fresh taste of his gospel, and when that happens, what happens? Well, you listen to the word of the Lord. You do. When the Lord comes to you in a fresh way, when the gospel is renewing your heart, and that doesn't happen once, friends. That happens throughout our lives as we follow him. That's not a one-time deal. Sometimes people talk about the second work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Like, there's the first work, you come to faith in Jesus, and you need a second work. You, you do need a second work, but guess what else you need? A third work, and a fourth work, and a 95th work, and a 657th work. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, the Lord needs to keep showing up in your life, and when he does, there is, a, there is an attention to his word and doing his will. There is, a desire, there is a desire to share that word, which we're gonna see next, and there is a desire to quickly do it. Friends, they share. Have you gone public with your faith recently at all? It's getting increasingly difficult to do that. It's hard. It's very hard to just even be categorized as a Christian. Especially if you take your faith seriously. Let's face it. This is not a great time in the United States to be associated with Christianity, Jesus, the Bible, the church. This is not a fun time for that. 
But there comes a time in your life when you follow God, it's going to be bold here, that you are willing to be identified with him. And if, if you're not, Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, then I will also be ashamed of you. And this is a hard word. But there is a point when you follow God where you have to go public. You can't help it. And I've talked about this many times, but whatever you're passionate about, you go public with. My goodness, do we do this. On social media, do we not do this? I just saw this movie. You have to see it. I just ate at this restaurant. You have to eat here. I'm going to take pictures of my eggs Benedict and show you. I mean, this is amazing. <laughs> Look at this hollandaise sauce. It's incredible. I give it a five out of, you know, whatever we're passionate about, whether it's the most mundane thing or the most important thing, I read this article, I voted this way, you must know, I drove over here on Saturday and sat here for 10 minutes and you gotta hear about it. But listen, for some reason, <laughs> we're terrified to be identified with Jesus, but this is sort of like what separates in a way the men from the boys of you really being moved by the gospel. Will you be willing to be identified with the Son of Man? It's an important point. And I remember when I was a kid, when I first fo started following Jesus in high school, I first tasted the gospel. I couldn't wait. I did. I quickly was like, now granted, it was the Bible Belt. It was the 80s, not 2016. It was a little easier, but I was, for the first time in my life, going, I want to be identified with Jesus Christ. High school. Then I go to college, though. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows me at all. It's a chance to redefine myself if I want to. No one has to know. And I spent about six weeks battling, will I be publicly associated with God or not? And I decided to go for it. And then I started attending this, this uh, I, I started leading a Bible study with some friends in my dorm. I decided to go, I, I started attending this college ministry, and they began to talk about what they were going to do that spring break. <laughs> they were going to go to Florida. Yes, I want to go. And we're going to share the gospel on the beach with college students who are just dying to hear about God <laughs> at, on the beach at spring break. Oh, man, I don't, I don't know. I'm, my, my friends start saying, we're going to this. Are you going to this? Yeah, dude, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. And I got roped in. I, I went. And, and, and we would spend, um, like, hours in the morning worshiping, being taught. We had, like, this mini conference in the morning. And then after lunch, we would go out onto Fort Lauderdale Beach in the 80s and go around and say, hey, I'm Scott. Do you want to talk about Jesus? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I think that's why you're here wearing your bikini and, you know, drinking a six-pack. Like, this is, you know, this is what you're here to do. But for me, that was this amazing moment to go, am I willing to face some of my greatest fears in life? Friends, I was in the restroom sick before every time I did this, terrified. But but there is this, this line in the sand at some point where you say, am I willing, am I willing to be identified with, with Jesus? And they are, they share. They not only share with Mary and Joseph, that's easy, right? I mean, come on. They share, they share with others as well, the good news. And finally, they bow. Luke 2, 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They worshiped in light of it. They worshiped it because of this. And it says in, in the great hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful, one of the most worshipful of all the Christmas hymns. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Come ye to Bethlehem, like the shepherds. Come and behold him, look at him. He's born the king of angels. 
glory in the midst of humility, majesty along with humility. Born the king of angels, oh come let us adore him. Come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. That, that chorus is so beautiful. Oh come let us adore him, adore him. Worship. You adore whatever you worship. Whether that's a person, whether that's uh, your stuff, whether that's your, your family, your kids, your lover, whatever it is, you adore the thing you worship. There's an adoration, a love, and you can't help but give testimony, praise. You can't help but get on social media. We do adore that which we worship. We do. The human heart can't cease from adoring that which we worship. And what I love in the gospel is this. Who do we find worshiping Jesus? Throughout the Gospels. It's not the insiders. It's not the ones we think should easily receive the good news. It's, it's the poor. It's the humble poor. They believe. It's blue-collar workers like shepherds and fishermen that are called into the kingdom. It's the priests and the pastors and the, and the religious workers and the people in the, in the church going... <laughs> I don't know, this sounds crazy. I mean, he's a heretic. Let's, let's crucify him. But the irreligious, they keep finding their ways into parties and, and bowing at Jesus' feet. It's women of the city, Luke 7, that, they keep, that, that wash his feet with their tears. It's, it's sinners, tax collectors, outsiders, the irreligious. They keep finding their way to Jesus and they bow and they worship him. What about us? This great chorus says, Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, come. But you know what, what I love about the gospel is this. It's first you come, not when you're faithful, and then as you adore him, you become faithful. Have you noticed that? It's not come ye faithful. You good people gather around Jesus. The good people don't come. They have no need of Jesus. It's only the sick that need the Savior. Jesus says so. It's only those who need a physician who come. And when they come and they find their adoration in him, even though they are the sinners and the prostitutes and the outcasts and the shepherds and the, the lost folks, so to speak, when they come and find him and as they worship him, they become faithful because of his goodness. It's through worshiping him, not, not the, the faithful come, it's they come, the sinners, the broken, the needy, it's people like you and me. And as we come, Oh, the Lord comes and we worship him and the Holy Spirit makes us a faithful people, not because we're good, but because Jesus is so good. Amen. The core of the gospel is this. Only those who recognize that they are unfaithful can come. And look how triumphant he makes us. <laughs> not in our own triumph. Not in our own holiness. We triumph in the majesty of Jesus. Keep pointing to him. Keep looking to him. Keep adoring him. Friends, come and adore him. Christ the Lord, he, he makes you faithful. You're, you're not faithful on your own, but the Lord makes us faithful through what he's done for us. Us outcasts, us outsiders. This last week, Becky and I got the chance to go see the Nutcracker, the ballet at the Phoenix Symphony, and it was glorious. Um, one of our very own uh, people here in this church, her name's Ava Cobb. She's a, ba uh, she's a ballerina, and she's in this production. And, and she got us great seats. We were able to sit really close, and, and we just 
relished this. This it was so beautiful. Becky and I enjoyed it, and we just kept thinking, like, this is the most Christmassy thing ever. Like the the music and the dancing and the and the drama of it. It's just it's glorious, and we we're just filled with Christmas joy during that hour and a half or so, and just walked out of there. We're all dressed up, right? I mean, and and as we leave, it's just like, yes, this is what Christmas is supposed to be about. Incredible music, incredible art, the snowflakes falling, and just they just did such a beautiful job. And then we come home <laughs> to our three boys, two high school students and a, and a college kid, and they're watching the movie Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> now, we walk into the sound of gunfire and, and bloody mess and people being shot up and and. And it's one of my favorite movies, by the way. But I said, guys, my goodness, you know, I'm filled with Christmas joy and the spirit of Christmas and snowflakes and Tchaikovsky and ah. Uh, and then I come in, you know, it's like ah. Uh. I'm like, could we not watch Elf or like, you know, something that's semi-Christmassy here? And as soon as these words came out of my mouth, I'm like, Saving Private Ryan, what's this about? Oh, wait a minute. I better be careful here. As I thought more about it, as Christmassy and as wonderful and as glorious as Nutcracker is and Elf, oh my goodness, it's so wonderful. (laughs) As the more I thought about it, it's like Saving Private Ryan might be the most Christmassy movie I've watched this year. See, Jesus didn't come to our world because all is well. Right? He came because we're at war. And like, I had, a, I had an uncle that was there. He marched into France and then drove all the way to Germany. And we would hear stories like most of that generation. They didn't talk much about it, but he had a gun. He had memorabilia. He had stuff he would show me. He would tell just glimpses of stories, and I'd see pictures of him in Europe, him in England, him in France. Him in and it wasn't until Saving Private Ryan that I got what he and others went through. I had no clue. And and Jesus Christ was not born in a cattle stall to a poor virgin and and revealed himself to shepherds because all is well and peaceful and serene. He came because we are in a world at war. That there's high cost, and it's a horrible thing. Death, violence, tragedy, oppression. He came to overthrow all of that. And in the great movie, Saving Private, Ryan, and be be ready before you watch this. And if you're a young child, wait until you're older. But it's about this family that's lost two out of three sons in World War II. And word gets to this officer that this family's already lost two of their sons. And there's this other one, Private Ryan, who's out somewhere in this platoon, is sent to go save him and to bring him back. And as you watch it, and there's a bit of a spoiler alert here, but men lose their lives in saving Private Ryan. They lay down their lives to save a man they don't even know, never met, because this other family can't lose their third son. Listen, friends. John 10, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not know the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees 
and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus is the good shepherd who came to save us. And as serene and as beautiful as the Advent story is, friends, it came, he came because of violence and war and oppression and sin. And he came to save us. And a lot of us don't like this language anymore. Like, oh, so-and-so says he's saved and all that. But that's exactly what it is. Until you see that you need to be saved from the, the, the rebellion and war of sin that has been your own sin and the sin against you and all the sin that you've been involved in. Friends, you need salvation. Jesus Christ came to bring salvation. And he's conquered it through his death and his resurrection. That is the good news of Christmas. Let's pray. Oh, fathers, we meditate on your coming of the Lord Jesus, your son entering the world boldly in his humility and his grandeur. Father, we thank you, we praise you that for this reality. And may there be a hurriedness to us as we tremble in awe and fear at your majesty and glory, may we hurry to do your will. May we tremble in awe and fear of your glory and your wonder, and may we share your will and bow before you because you're so beautiful and you're so glorious. We ask all this in the wonderful name of your Son. Amen.